I, th- I think aside from the accessibility piece, I think you, you could further refine that into sort of like this really deep look at humanity and, and like the human spirit, the human element. Uh, because even in lower tier movies of his, he's really going after um, that sort of slice of life. And trying to explain that to you or trying to really make it connect with you. I think that, you know, if I was to, to, to bring up Rob Reiner to somebody, I would just, uh, it depends on where they are in life, right? So like where, like if you're building a relationship or, or something like that, you show them when Harry met Sally. If you're in the, in the, the twilight of your years, you, you throw in the bucket list or something like that. and another month of a podcast directed by so finally mike has come back to the show no more weird australian accents or just have weird kentucky accents so mike welcome back to a podcast directed by are you super excited for march for april where are we at (laughs) no (laughs) i'm not (laughs) just in general good attitude just not excited (laughs) about anything has nothing to do with the the programming or you know the the filmmaker this month uh because he makes pretty enjoyable populist entertainment or at least he did um before he got into i don't know political filmmaking i don't know i didn't watch any of that and you didn't program any of it so you're welcome um <laughs> but yes i'm i i guess uh i guess i'm glad that andrew is not uh promoting his weird act direct podcast that was it like we we, we had a month of it and now we know why it's not an official podcast because right. it's I not a him, good idea i gave him 10 good shots at it so i feel <laughs> i feel pretty comfortable with that so uh, as Mike kind of referenced, actually, like, you know, we try to not make this show super focused on current events or anything, but given what's going on in the world, some nice populist entertainment, I think will be nice to talk about. So we're going to be talking about Rob Reiner uh, this this month, and our expert uh, is our first return expert, uh, Hiro oh, from the no. True Bromance oh, podcast no. is back. I mean, I couldn't, like, okay, so a little behind the scenes uh, for our listeners Every time, this is, if you spend any time on Twitter, which you shouldn't, but if you spend any time on Twitter, every couple months, this same question will pop up. Like, who had the best, like, four-film run out of all these directors? Like, this guy, you know, so, of course, Hitchcock gets mentioned, uh, PTA gets mentioned, and every time, every goddamn time, Hiro has to pop up and chirp about Rob Reiner. So, we are, he is our expert this month. He is now in the process of watching all of these movies all over again, uh, so he can uh, also, talk to me about it. thanks to current events, I guess, that he has the time to sit <laughs> yeah. on a whim and exactly. watch 10 Rob Reiner films As back to back to back to back. Many of us do now have the time, yes. because yeah. many people, of course, are working from home. Uh, as you should be. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna dig into Rob Reiner. So Mike, before we get into the two movies, because we're gonna talk about um, this is Spinal Tap and the Sure Thing. Uh, actually, both of which I had never seen before, strangely enough. But we'll get into that. Oh, the first one. I know. Yeah. I know. But what about, you know, when you hear the name Rob Reiner, like, are are there certain things that it makes you think of? Like, we always talk on these introductory episodes, like, what is what are you expecting from a movie by this director? So what do you expect from a Rob Reiner movie? 
comedy could it can I be that broad um and and maybe for especially for this podcast i don't know if we've had like a a pure comedy filmmaker and yeah. for a lot of his filmography other than the stuff that other i didn't watch and yes. we're not covering uh but you know i don't think that would count because i don't think no offense to the man but rob reiner peaked somewhere in the mid 90s uh and as far as like above the the title name uh maybe early 2000s or maybe late 90s i, I don't know um, so I, I still think that that would apply. Now there are a couple, even on our list, a couple outliers that, you know, you, you can't, I don't know if you can have an approach or say, uh, ghost of Mississippi comedy, maybe, but generally speaking, I think if you ask someone, they would say, yeah, he makes, he makes funny, entertaining movies. Uh, but they're not extremely broad comedies. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very character based. And it, honestly, maybe it's something that's, died out as far as being on uh, like a feature film presentation. It's something right. that TV has really grasped onto. Uh, so it might be hard to have the next Rob Reiner uh, with this budget uh, for each <laughs> film with those like a list actors in these just sort of likable, entertaining comedies like misery. Yes. Good. I had to get the other one in there. Good. Cause I knew there would be someone that's comedy. like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, yes, there are at least two on our list that are not, not comedies. Although maybe that's a, dark comedy at times. No, I think it is. I think actually, uh, not counting Ghost of Mississippi, I would think the one that maybe has the least comedy is A Few Good Men. Um, that has some good lines, though. It does. Some, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. But it is, I think, more of a drama than it is a comedy. It's just like full of so many charming actors that you kind of can't help. And of course, you know, it's written by Sorkin, right? I'm remembering that right. Think, yeah, we got right? two of those yeah. in this so. list, yeah. So um, I, I asked you that specifically, what, what you expected, because this would be a really difficult question for me to answer, uh, because even walking into these months, usually I have an idea of what to expect. Uh, and if I don't, it's usually because I haven't seen any of their movies, right? But in this case, I think I had seen, I think, seven of the ten movies. Um, and one of them, including one we'll talk about today, is one I was very aware of. Like, it's just part of pop culture at this point. Um, and I was like struggling, like, what does it mean to be a Rob Reiner movie? And it's so broad that it is really hard to nail down. Like, yes, most of his work is comedies, but there's like, you know, fantasy comedy, like in The Princess Bride. There's romantic comedy when it comes to When Harry Met Sally. So there's kind of a lot going on here. Um, but I think you're right in that you can expect, even in dramatic film. Uh, you can still expect a fair amount of comedy from Rob Reiner and like very much a like a crowd pleaser type comedy. Like there's a not... sense of like old fashioned entertainment with yeah. his movies. Like no yeah. matter as you're saying what particular genre it would be that you're going to have some laughs, you have romance, mm-hmm. uh, you have some tension, um, even in something like The Princess Bride. The tension there is very different from A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. but they still feel like Rob Reiner movies, which is interesting because you, you mentioned your expert always chiming in Hiro with Rob Reiner and uh, my co-host on 99 from 99 uh, actually cited Rob Reiner as like an example of why he hates the auteur theory in general, because mm. he would say someone like that would never be considered an auteur. And I said, Oh, but sir, he's going to be featured on auteurs for assholes on this podcast. <laughs> we are he's already you wrong. <laughs> But I, th- I think he's right. I don't think yeah. uh, in like, you know, people who are getting on logging on letterbox, I don't think they're going to do like a Rob Reiner month. And maybe like me, um, 
I like the only memory I have of thinking about Rob Reiner when I was a teenager getting into movies is the fact that I accidentally, I don't mean accidentally, like I threw them in my, you know, basket or on the counter accidentally. I just happened to grab three different movies that were directed by Rob Reiner without mm-hmm. thinking who directed this. Right. And it was one of those, it was one of those things where it's like, I think uh, my co-host Ben is right. Where I just happened to be like, I want some entertaining movies. And right. they just happened to be all directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now um, we will kind of transfer over into talking about the actual movie. So the first one, of course, which was, I believe, his first feature film uh, is This is Spinal Tap, uh, which is kind of a mockumentary about a, you know, English, like not metal, but like an English rock band. For me, this was definitely a first time all the way through. I'd seen chunks of it. All the, like the big things, the Stonehenge sequence and the turn it up to 11 and, you know, some of the sillier gags that have made its way out. But this is definitely a first time sitting through it. Um, I'm sort of mixed on it. I could see I could I have to put myself in, you know, very early 80s eyes to like see how this would have been perceived. Like you said, it's the first of its kind. It, it, it must have blown people's socks off because it's funny but not in a way that uh, we were accustomed to as, as movie-going audiences. Kind of like Madonna, right? They, they changed their styles, as you see in different <laughs> – uh, Yes, absolutely. that's a good point. Yes, they had a lot of different, uh, a, a lot of different iterations of <laughs> their artistic output. And this is a movie that I think, especially if you're of a certain age, like if you're in your – like I would say like 30s to 40s right now, this was a movie that was kind of constantly around. Um, like for me, at least like it was like whenever I went to parties when I was in high school, this was like, for whatever reason, always on in the background. And it's something I just like, I catch bits and pieces. I knew specific lines from it The like this, this one goes to 11, mm-hmm. the like this, you know, how much more black can this get? None more black. Like these are, these are lines that are just like kind of burned into pop culture. Um, but it was a movie that I never saw before. But what about you? I'm sure you had seen this movie before, right? Because I think everyone except me, when I mentioned this online, all of my followers were like, what? How? How did you not see this movie yet? So I'm pretty sure my stepdad introduced uh, this one to me. He's a big, uh, you know, if he had to watch a movie, it's probably going to be a comedy. Uh, that's, you know, that's his idea of sitting down for two hours and being entertained is make me laugh, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. and. He probably also likes something like A Few Good Men. I don't think we ever had a conversation about it. So Rob Reiner would definitely be uh, his particular jam here. But he also – I will go even older, Dave, uh, because he was in college in uh, the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think his particular generation uh, really liked this because obviously uh, growing up with his formative years in the 60s, you know, music was a big part of his life, record collecting, all of that. Uh, I think there was something – that he really was fond of as far as uh, killing your idols here. Mm. You know, the, the fact that they're, they're elevating these guys only to tear them down, but I will say kind of in a warm way. And that's the one thing I always forget about rewatching this movie is that this really is a movie about friendship. It's about two dudes who grow apart, but really don't know how to function without the other. It is actually like a nicer, strangely a nicer, but far less talented uh, Lennon McCartney din- dynamic yes. we have here. Um, <laughs> and I guess like the, uh, the happy ending is that these two stay together and at least combine their bad taste in music as opposed to yes. like <laughs> pollinating elsewhere with other people and infecting them. But 
yeah, he, he introduced me to this and like you, uh, I think that I sort of dropped in and out of it because I, I remember like bits of it as if it's like a sketch comedy, uh, or like an episode of like, uh, you know, a 22 minute comedy, uh, like a television series. And I do the whole, like, I forget like that there actually is a narrative arc to right. this. Uh, and it's, it's impressive considering that it is pretty much like, you know, mostly improvised like you would get with a lot of Christopher Guest films when right. he was sort of make his own later on. But I do find it interesting, like you mentioned it being kind of like kind of soft and a full hearted uh, mm-hmm. story of friendship. And I think that's something that, you know, for better or worse, if you look at Christopher Guest's career after this, um, as far as the mockumentaries go and and the kind of improvised films, like he, of course, did like Waiting for Government and A Mighty Wind and Best in Show, um, which uh, brings a lot of, you know, the same actors back into it and just like, go have a good time and then we'll fix it in post. We'll edit it all together into a story. And I think this one works better, not only in terms of the actual narrative arc of the movie, but also in not being mean-spirited. Like, I love mean-spirited comedies, uh, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of ugliness in Christopher Guest's movies after this, in terms of mockumentaries. But this one never goes there. It never really... It never really gets too mean. Like, there's a couple scenes, like the scene at the, like, the kind of, like, dinner party... It's a little, it's a little like just pointing the finger at these guys and like openly mocking them. But the rest of the movie isn't really like that. So I kind of appreciated that as like a start to this month. And this, this is a nice story about these two idiots that have somehow become like relatively popular and they're just trying to figure things out. So it's just kind of a nice sit as I made through the like, you know, 85 minutes of this movie. Yeah, you're right. It's probably like the subject matter, you know, rock, mm. pompous rock gods at this time, or guys who consider themselves rock gods. And as you said, have had a moderate amount of success. I mean, enough success where uh, they can't really flaunt fame and fortune because they're seemingly do- doing it on a budget of sorts. Um, their Stonehenge thing is a bit that I always remembered. Uh, it's but hard to forget. <laughs> they're also not having to like, you know, go – you know lay brick or anything either like they're they're doing well enough to where they have some following maybe it's just not the coolest following like the one they aspire to uh but yeah you look at something like best in show and there is a little bit where you know some of those characters are like you know just like i don't want to say average americans but you know they're they're working class who just happen to like really fucking love their dog and they're like aspiring to like you know win this thing that is a competition most people would just find humorous, but you do get a little bit of that sort of like what I've accused uh, Alexander Payne of doing where he focuses on this like middle America characters and they're always total yokels. Like they mm-hmm. might be nice people. And as far as how the narrative goes, they might win you over, but he places them front and center as a point of look at this and laugh at this and look how broad they are. And I guess, you know, maybe it's unfair to uh, aspiring rock gods. I'm like, I think you're you're probably fair game. But I, I do feel like it is fair <laughs> game. But, you know, on the other hand, I am like strangely rooting for them by the end yeah. of it. Like, I do want them to find their audience. I And not to spoil a movie that like was almost 50 years old at this point. Uh, <laughs> but I do like that they, you know, eventually they do. In the last like 10 seconds of the movie, they find their audience. They find their crowd. It's very. Did you ever see um uh, Anvil? Like the the, the documentary? that's about guys like this that one hits a little harder because it's about real people but right. if you enjoyed this i would say a check out anvil from like 10 years ago hmm. and it's about two two guys two canadian guys they're best friends and they you know 
like they're basically the guys that wanted to be Metallica and they were around like playing the same shows as Metallica just never happened. And for whatever reason, <laughs> they did not become Metallica. So, uh, but yeah, this one, uh, I think it, you know, it punches up, but then it pulls his punches a little bit. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Yeah. And I think, uh, in a lot of ways, this, this hits on something pretty rare in movies where some movies are like very clearly, it's just a group of bits thrown together in a patchwork way. And you're like, well, these were funny bits, but it doesn't really work as a movie. And some things are like, okay, this is a pretty funny movie, but you can't watch just 10 minutes of it and have it be funny. Like you have to watch the whole thing. And I think this threads that needle. Like you could, you could watch a like little reel of the greatest moments of Spinal Tap and it's hilarious. And you could watch the whole movie and it actually makes sense. And it's funny within context. Just really, it's really kind of an impressive feat in a movie like this. And some of that has got to be like some great directorial choices, some great editing at work. Because in any movie like this, when so much is improvised, what you end up with is just a massive amount of material. And you've got to find a way to kind of stitch it all together. Especially when you have talented improvisers like Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon here, you're just going to be like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure something out. So I think it's kind of, especially given the fact that this is Reiner's first film, like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of bad choices made here from the director's shirt. It's actually really impressive. And given the fact that, you know, he has a, he has a background in acting. I thought it was also a really interesting choice for him to, you know, be the documentary filmmaker to kind of make an appearance on camera too, to kind of flip the camera around, which sometimes you do see in these in these documentaries but usually it's a mistake uh to do that but like he just has this he has this kind of genuineness as an actor um that when you see him on screen it is again like his movies as we'll talk about all month he has this warm presence so even when you know there's a little bit of like punching up here and like attacking the subjects it never feels vicious and that's got to be like a really tough line to toe I wonder uh, if that came about contractually uh, because this was – I think it was like 60 grand or something. They put this together. Uh, if if you needed Reiner with his uh, sitcom background, that he, he was a face. I also wonder if they were scared of people thinking that this was just a documentary and we're just making fun of these guys. <laughs> so it's good. like – so if you introduce <laughs> – you know, you have Rob Reiner, a known face. We are like, wait a minute. He's a comedy actor. Okay, I can laugh at this. This is a comedy. Uh, there was a movie called uh, Paper Heart. Um, with, uh, I think Charlene Yee, I think's her name and, uh, Michael Sarah, oh, yeah. uh, that attempted to do that. Like this is a documentary, but not really about their like burgeoning romance. And Jake Johnson was the documentary filmmaker. And it, it's funny, like what I'm complimenting is this is Spinal Tap. I always thought it was a mistake in Paper Heart because uh i'm like wait you you couldn't even fully commit like you you get jake johnson i know who that guy is like you know why is why is he just showing up holding the camera um but it is impressive i think this one this one early on is a contender for uh for our format for best for me because it is the first time filmmaker it's a small budget but given what you said that is improvised i think it shows great restraint and that's uh, like a lot of yeah. successful comedies that are uh you know it is a dying genre uh in in movie theaters uh something like the judd apatow apatow stuff 
you know, even if you're a fan of those, there's always that sort of slack that he seems to give because he just enjoys working with like the same cast members. And you can feel where it's like, you know, maybe if he had a little bit more of a discerning eye here, <laughs> that this would be tightened up a bit. And I don't, I don't know what you cut out of this. I think this feels like yeah. a very tight, like really, really great comedy. And it's one of those that I'm glad I revisited because I don't think I ever think about it as a whole. I just think of it as a series of good bits. But watching it, I was really impressed how much I just enjoyed it. Just uh, what is the runtime on this? Is it's it like an hour, hour and 22. Like yeah, it, I'm very tight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about kind of the difference between something like this and something like an Apatow movie. Because Apatow, although I like his, I like a lot of his movies, it's clear that he thinks his friends are the funniest people yes. that have ever mm-hmm. lived. So the bits go on maybe a little bit too long. And then if you buy the DVDs, there's always like an extra where it's like, let's watch my friend's riff for like 29 minutes. And it's like, oh, and some of that is funny stuff. But I think here you have someone with a discerning eye actually taking a look at this. Um, and I also think because just like in terms of reasons why I enjoyed it that maybe some people would and some people wouldn't is that like when I was a teenager and in my 20s, like I got really into like classic rock or whatever and read a bunch of books on like Clapton and Lennon and McCartney and like really was focused on this. So this idea of this ever changing world of the musical artists, especially in the sixties where like these super groups were formed and then like that didn't work. And then they changed their name and bring it. So all that stuff like really, really works. And this like recurring theme of these like ex bandmates who died, these horrible deaths, like just keep popping up. Oh yeah. He died too. And it's just like, and everything is done so straight in this movie and i think that's the reason it works because you have some great comedic performers that could just like deadpan these hilarious moments these hilarious performances and the only reaction you get really is rob reiner of this like sometimes with him on screen and sometimes just his voice of this pause of like wait what what and it gives you the cue as the audience to kind of enjoy this moment where otherwise it could be just like, wow, this is really dark and really sad. Like, why are we talking about all these dead ex-band members, you know? But, like, so much of that is tied into the kind of culture of, like, 60s guitar rock. And that stuff all really worked for me. Like, and there were moments, and I rarely say this about, especially a movie like this, that is a lot of bits, where I'm like, honestly, if you made this 10, 15 minutes longer, I'd be totally fine with it. I think there's room for more stuff here. But I'm kind of glad it is this like really tight. That's why like, you can't be Rob Reiner. That's right? why we're covering Rob Reiner, not you, Dave, because you would oh, look is, at you. You're you're turning into reason? pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've got to make at least ten movies, so yeah, there's, there's other areas where you're slacking. <laughs> just a little bit, but yeah, I think it's just like it's really like there's no reason that this movie should be as well planned and well thought out as it is. Because it does feel like, well, we didn't have a lot of money, and we got some funny friends together, and we're going to put some bad wigs on them, and we're just going to have a good time. And you have that, but like that that scene where the two friends kind of split up, like it's genuinely emotionally affecting. Like you don't want that to go that way, even though the breakup of a band in this circumstance is enjoyable and fun to watch. But you've like weirdly grown to care about these characters, which I'm I'm still not aware really of how they did that in this movie because it's not as if there's a great deal of realism to these characters they are caricatures but yet 
you are still rooting for them kind of the whole way through. And even though they never really reached that peak, right, that they always wanted to, it still does end in a way where it's it's weirdly hopeful. You're like, well, they, they're still hanging out together. They still have a shot. They're still performing. And that's really all that matters. So it's like, I was not expecting this movie to be like heartwarming. I was watching it like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of jackasses on screen acting like jackasses for 80 to 90 minutes. But really, it still actually works as a movie. So whose side did you come down on? If, if we're doing like the, the Lennon McCartney thing here with uh, David St. Hubbins and Nigel, uh, which, which one, you know, in this, this argument? Uh, I mean, I get, like, I guess Nigel, and I don't know, maybe that's just like my, my bias, uh, against Michael McKeon. Like, I don't know why that's something about, I thought you were going to go with women. I'm like, <laughs> the, like the, the Yoko stand in who, who breaks uh, up the band. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I love that stuff too. That stuff really works where she is aggressive. It's like really, but you know really... what I like about her character? What's that? Like, for whatever reason, she's she's all in too. Like she she's just mm-hmm. as committed, thinking that they should yep. be more successful. Like she's not someone who thinks, okay, this is not working. You've got to completely change your entire image. Like <laughs> she's actually doubling and tripling down on their bullshit. And that's another thing I forgot about the film because I think it would have been very easy to cast her off as like. Uh, you know, she's just the meddling woman, like right. you know, ruining the boys' club. <laughs> I think if you're sitting back in the audience, you're like, maybe someone should meddle. I don't know. Maybe, yes. maybe you need an outside. <laughs> There's not a lot here. of smart folks here. <laughs> like, and that's the other thing I I really love about this movie. Like you mentioned the the kind of bit with the you know the set that's too small, <laughs> you know, the dwarfs running around, like all that is great. But I love that there's actually a reason. Why that happens. It's not just like, well, somebody screwed up. Oh, well. But it's like, no, you just didn't know how to write feet versus inches. Like, and strangely, uh, you know, another weird cameo. The woman who is designing that is Angelica Houston, of all people. So it's just like a nice little cameo there. But I like that there's a reason behind that. It wasn't just like, wouldn't it be funny if it was small? We don't really need to explain why. But like, there's an actual explanation because these guys are not bright. And you could easily see them making that mistake and i love i love the argument after the fact where it's just like why whatever like it's just like he never really like apologizes or he was wrong he just assumes and it's that i think that like catered to pseudo b-level celebrity where you're just like well everyone should know what i'm thinking and and it's just and it's done again like everything else in this movie really efficiently like you get a lot about these characters in a very short period of time. You know, I, I took up for uh, Janine, I believe, is the uh, the, the Yoko Stando uh, stand-in's uh, character's name, but I, uh, I I think I probably have to side with Ian as far as you know because he's he's the one that uh, for most of the runtime gets blamed, their manager, and <laughs> uh, he is attempting <laughs> to be extremely accommodating with with people uh, with pretty uh difficult request and uh, i i mean difficult in the sense that they're they're delusional and <laughs> the requests that are feasible uh do not seem helpful in any way to no. <laughs> advancing their career so he's in a tough spot uh usually though i, I think that i i just agree with the 
the one that I feel like has been dumped upon the most. Uh, even in Almost Famous, I was a Jason Lee guy because he's oh, he's the out, he's the there. out of focus guy. Yep. You know, yep. <laughs> like I understand why he doesn't want to be out of focus on his own fucking cover. Like, yeah, <laughs> I get it. You know, that's but it's it, it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't his character in Almost Famous wear a shirt with his own face on it? He does. Like, and, that's awesome. That's <laughs> <laughs> that is the true lead guitarist in a rock band right yeah. there. That is absolutely perfect. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Ian though, because like <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, it's very easy to see him as just this kind of like weaselly manager. But by the end, you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of agree with you flipping out on these guys right now. <laughs> like when he finally snaps, it is a great comedic moment. Oh, it's not exactly the first maybe... time you've messed things up, is it? I mean, there have been some uh, some gaping time. holes in the business Excuse edge of this. Minute, if this uh... Excuse me. This is a fan meeting, right? Are you don't here for some reason? Don't worry about it. She's, no, she's with well, me. Yeah, is but she now in the band? I mean, is she singing back she's up? I care what she's happens me, right? to the band. David, whenever a single bump or a ruffle comes into this little fantasy, adolescent fantasy world that you guys you guys have built around yourself, you start it, screaming it, like a bunch of poncy hairdressers. I mean, it's it's just a problem, you know? It gets solved. It doesn't. You can't live. You can't live in a bubble. If it got solved, that would be all right. But it doesn't get solved. I mean, what do you think happened out there? What got solved tonight? For one thing that goes wrong, one one single thing that goes wrong, a hundred things go right. Do you know what, what I spend my time doing? I sleep two or three hours a night. There's no sex and drugs for Ian, David. You know what I do? I find lost luggage. Yes. I, I locate mandolin strings in the middle of Austin. You know? I prize the rent out of the local Hebrews. Well, maybe That's what I do. someone else to find the lost luggage, and you should concentrate on what's yes. going on on stage. Yes. That's what we're talking like about. All bad... No, all no. bad... But so we, can't, we, can't, we What Dave is trying to say, if you'd let him get a word through, is you could maybe do with some help. Some help. It's very simple. It's very simple. It's that clear. Maybe there's someone already in the organisation. We don't have to pay insurance. We don't have to pay extra room, etc. Since she's already here, she's already among us, and uh, and she can she? perfectly capable of taking she? over. Wait a minute. Well, who do you think Wait I'm a talking minute. about? Who what? do you think I'm talking about? I would have, would never have dreamed in a million years that it was her you were talking about. Why not? Seriously I am suggesting... offering Wait. to help out. No, you're not offering to help out. You're offering to co-manage the band with me. Is that it? Yes. yes. Let's get it in straight. so many words. That is exactly it. Well, I'm no. certainly not going to co-manage with some 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 girl you... just because she's your girlfriend. It's... Don't oh. call her my All girlfriend. Right. She's girlfriend. Not your girlfriend. Is it? You couldn't manage a classroom full of kids. I don't know what you're doing, man. Well, oh, shut up! Look, I'm gonna... look. I, 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 this is this is my position. Okay, I am not managing it with you or any oh, other good. woman, especially one who dresses right. like an Australian's nightmare. So fuck you well, and fuck, fuck all you of you too. because I quit. All right, that's it. Good night. Especially because again, everyone playing it so deadpan, like just like looking at him, like what's what's happening right now? I don't even, I don't understand why you would be yelling at me, like so unaware of everything else that's going on. And I think. I, you know, I think this movie is well thought of for a very good reason. It's it's nice when a movie is like, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about This Is Final Tap. Like, everyone loves it. And a lot of times when everyone loves a movie and you come to it decades later, it could be like, I mean, it was okay, I guess. I don't know what you guys were all. But I laughed more... through this whole thing. Like, I enjoyed pretty much every moment of this movie. So I'm glad it kind of lived up to that standard. I, I was more afraid. I didn't check any of the, uh, you know, the 2020 online reviews, the letterbox or tweets about this because I was just afraid that uh, someone would be very angry about their their big hit in Japan, uh, Sex Farm, because <laughs> 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 I think Sex Farm 
is is a great spinal tap song that's that's as far as i'll go i think it's i understand why it would be their breakthrough hit in japan <laughs> i mean that's the other thing like last thing before i think we kind of move on is like uh i would i would straight up listen to spinal tap absolutely there's good music in here too do you remember uh well like rock band uh the mm-hmm. the, the successor to to guitar hero the the better version of that format yeah. Uh, at one point, I think I still have it on like a PlayStation Three hard drive. You could buy the Spinal Tap album to play on Rock Band, That's and those amazing. were those were fun. Sex Worm was very fun. That is amazing. I love with it. my plastic toy guitars. <laughs> it was very fun to play. <laughs> Absolutely, man. There was a time where I spent spent a lot of time playing Rock Band. Let's, let's not even think about that. Just a dark time in Dave's history. All right, moving uh, on. But we are going to take a quick break, hear from our expert Hiro, and then come back and talk about. The sure thing. You know, so again, this movie for me, when when I always do my obligatory defense of Rob Reiner and his run, I always started at Stand By Me, right? Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, Harry Met Sally, that run starts there. Um, but I need to back it up because now the run for me starts at The Sure Thing because I love this movie. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, you bring up John Cusack and his – what we know of him now, and I think that you see the seeds here. But he, he was he was like 16 years old when they started filming, or when he was cast in this movie. And he is so out of control, manic, and he's immature. But that's the point of this movie is his immaturity and th- that a little bit of growth coming through. Yes, it's problematic with the 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 Nicholas Sheridan stuff and the the diving at sex. But let's be honest, we were all there once. All right, so we are back. Now it's time to talk, uh, you know, something that you should be really knowledgeable about. It's a romantic comedy. It's a John Cusack movie. This seems like right in your wheelhouse. So this is clearly going to be Rob Reiner's masterpiece, right? The sure thing? Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I, I had not seen this. Uh, and I realized uh, I've been tr- trying to, like uh... – uh, be more vigilant. Uh, that was, I guess, a 2019 uh, resolution to, to actually use Letterbox, even if I'm just using it for myself. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I like, you know, maybe to go back and see, uh, what were you thinking, Mike? Talk to <laughs> past Mike and be like, why did you like this or hate this even? And uh, one of the big gaps, if you just look at my my entries, is, uh, and this will pain the, the co-host of your expert on uh, True Romance Film, uh, oh, Barry. The 80s uh, is, your, is the, your gap? The 80s is a pretty oh. big – I mean, other than you know the big hits, uh, right. you know stuff like this, which I don't know. Like I'm, I've got the Rotten Tomatoes pulled up, and this has an 85% from 34 reviews. Um, I have no idea <laughs> because I think John Cusack 80s teen sex comedies – somewhat all run together for me like mm. I, I i remember better off dead i know that one um and i'm sure there were a couple others i watched i mean but, does uh, say anything count or is that not a sex i comedy? well is that more like pure <laughs> romantic comedy I, I would go pure romance because you know they do have sex uh but i don't think it's treated i mean fucking peter gabriel's playing as they like look into each other's eyes i it's true. It's the song romantic. is in your eyes <laughs> uh if it's meant to be funny cameron crow uh, has a strange sense of it there uh we'll just stick with the the out of focus guy for his comedy so yeah i had no no experience with this one i'll just admit uh you you kind of set it up as far as okay this is in your wheelhouse uh but i thought okay this is going to be something that we just like quickly move on from because spinal tap is like the classic comedy mm-hmm. 
And this seems like the bridge to, you know, bigger budgets, bigger stars and bigger successes. I mostly liked it, uh, but it's strange. And then I really, really dislike what Cusack is doing here. And he's the name. He's the face. Like, I I even have to, like, I had to make a note to myself, like, remember the actress's name? Because I actually really liked her. Uh, Daphne, Daphne Zuniga, star of who, Spaceballs, right? <laughs> well, Spaceballs would be another gap for me in the sense I saw it when I was a kid. And oh, I've, sure. I've sure. never watched it as an adult. And I think uh, she was on Melrose Place. That Do is where I'm that, like. Right? Okay. I'm like I recognize the face. But I, don't know I don't if think I should I've be ever... proud of remembering that or feel deep shame. It's but fine. Because is... <laughs> um, I got that too, and I, I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Melrose Place. But certainly in the '90s, like I would know the cast because they would be on magazine covers. Sure. Um, I thought she was great here, as uh, she's got a really like kind of terrible part here. She is the, of course, the woman who's the stick in the mud, uh, you know, straight A student. Uh, who hasn't learned how to let go yet. And this is like a, a really bad, I don't mean bad as far as the content, but it's a really terrible road trip for these characters to be on. And she is stuck with a really obnoxious, what we would call now nice guy <laughs> who doesn't understand why people don't want to fuck him. Jesus. And boy, and I don't think this is in the wheelhouse of John Cusack's comedy. Cause if we're using the spinal tap reference, he goes to eleven in a lot of scenes, and I think most people from like the beginning, him. Because... Like from his introduction, he—I don't think he goes below a nine <laughs> for the entire movie. Like he is amped for this performance, and I think this is—you know—he was pretty young at this point, so that probably has a lot to do with it. But I think, I think one of the things you're kind of referencing is like it's a really difficult balance in a movie like this if you're going to have. A character uh, like John Cusack is playing, who's, I mean, like, let's, let's be honest. It's just kind of a piece of shit. Like, he's not, he's not likable um, in this, in this role at all. So it's like, it's a really tough line to balance on where you have kind of a complaining, whining character, but that you're supposed to be rooting for by the end of this movie. And like, for me, it never gets there. It absolutely, like, I, I just wanted Allison, Daphne Zuniga's character to just like, dump everybody just run off and live your life get your straight a's go be a doctor or a lawyer whatever it is you want to do and leave these idiots in the dust like because her boyfriend is no better he he sucks too he's boring uh and then you know john cusack's character it's interesting because when i heard the plot of this movie right it's this road trip to get to this quote sure thing this woman who will absolutely have sex with him and what I was expecting and kind of what i liked that they kind of played with here you're expecting he gets there and she is not into him she's you know there is no such thing as a sure thing but he gets there and it kind of is a sure thing it would have happened if he i still didn't understand why like i no idea why why is this uh beautiful blonde lady who nicolette sheridan right like just like the pinnacle of like 80s blonde beauty like why is she waiting around for this loser like I'm sure she could have her pick of whoever she wanted. Yeah, I don't think either one of us are like doing some version of slut shaming here. Like, I'm no. if she's, I mean, she's young, have as, you know, fuck as much as you want. That's yes. of course, I'm all for that. Always. But yeah, why, why are you putting that on pause for someone you've never met who is this version of John Cusack? That was a very hard pill for me to swallow. And I guess, yeah, <laughs> Anthony Edwards, man, I guess when he makes a promise to a friend, he just like, you know, he, he's going to make sure that happens for the guy. I did like the one bit about the, uh, I guess the truck driver who's like, you know, there is no such thing as a sure thing, but 
uh, if there is, I'm not going to pass up the opportunity to help someone like acquire that <laughs> sure thing. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess that's just the rules of the road. Um, <laughs> they don't uh, like my problem with the movie is John Cusack is put there to make Daphne feel bad about how she's lived her life, but it's not because he's happy with that lifestyle. This is a virgin <laughs> telling her to not to just like, <laughs> break loose and cut up. He's basically like, just fuck me. Like that's his version of, you need to like relax and like just live for the moment just so I'm not a virgin anymore. And that's, that's a very different argument than like, well, I'm very happy and here's how I go about things. You know, maybe this will work for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, I think it's a more interesting movie if it's that movie, if it's this guy who's like, you know, really confident and supposedly has things figured out. And then because of his relationship with, Daphne Zuniga's character like he ends up falling in love with her and it being like oh this is something more serious and it shouldn't be just fun maybe I need to kind of readjust my priorities but it's this fucking loser virgin (laughs) who like his you know stereotypically kind of overweight not super smart roommate is getting laid left and right and like John Cusack who is like let's just be real especially at this time just a really really good looking man like you would think, okay, this guy has no problem getting women, getting whatever he wants. But, like, they play with it as if, like, he's, like, almost like he talks himself out of sex. Like, he's just, like, he's too much of a thinker and he's too smart and he's too much in his own head. They, they, you know? I tell you what, Dave, they certainly convinced me no one will fuck him because well, I, I yeah. listened to him for yeah. <laughs> 90 minutes. And like, I will you just shut up? <laughs> if you would just sit there and look pretty, this would go really well for you. But instead... You're going to, like, talk about your philosophy and, like, uh, you know, and there's, like, a lot of bits that really don't work for me. Like, there's all the stuff in the classroom where, like, the penthouse letter accidentally gets read out loud to the class. Like, there's all this stuff that is supposed to, I think, supposed to make you feel bad for your lead character here. Like, oh, that's embarrassing. He's got to, like, somehow recover from that. But the whole time all these bad things are happening to him, I'm like, good, good. You you should well, be taken down a couple pegs. And I also like that with the uh, the penthouse letter being accidentally read in their creative writing class or whatever, and like the professor's like down for it. <laughs> like she's like <laughs> good stuff. Um, I I had a hard time buying that this version of a young man wouldn't secretly like all the attention he's receiving, even if it's bad. Because as you said, he like shoots himself in the foot so often that it makes it seem like. You just want any attention, even if it's right. negative. Like you just want to be the class clown still. Mm-hmm. And you, I'm, I'm sure both of us have met people like that where it's oh, like, yeah. oh, that's just their thing. Like, yeah, it's kind of awkward, but you know, that's, you know, they, that just whatever they have to do to get people to like look at them and they'll grow out of it. And this may be a little late. He is entering college, but freshman year, I could still see it. Right. Sure. I could still sure. see it. I think the, the problem is the, uh, this is one time like we were crediting Reiner for his direction with Spinal Tap. And this is one time where, uh, Maybe I want like a a sterner hand here as far as like, no, you need to admonish this character a little bit more. Like I'm like you, I'm kind of like, why am I rooting for things to work out for him? Like he's he's done nothing but get on my nerves. I feel bad for Tim Robbins for like the first people to (laughs) drive these fools. Which is the most damning (laughs) sentence I have ever heard. And they're setting up the Tim Robbins character and his, his wife is like awful. And instead, I'm just like I'm like it's like I'm looking at the screen, apologizing to them, like I'm so sorry for what they, what they said in front of you. What they right. uh, we do get one hero moment with John Cusack, where I guess he saves Miss Melrose Place 
from uh, a rapist by uh, cranking it up to 12. I, I don't know. He, he like is like putting on his crazy face and I, I don't know if that would work. I don't know if he would just be killed instantly. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's what would happen. Like, John Cusack, not a real physically intimidating guy. Like that's not like you. And I think you could make the want. case that he was he was like legitimately threatening. And I, I think even this girl might be like, yeah, he's one of the things he said in school. And they they would write it off as like, all right, this was a young sociopath in the making. <laughs> that being said, I thought the movie's okay. Like I mean, I've talked nothing. It's it's weird. It, it is pretty much the lead character. That is so hard for me to work around that, as you said, the concept of it, the time period this came out, this feels like a layup movie. And, right. you know, maybe they're just trying to distinguish it. Maybe they're they with his performance being cranked up. They were just trying to set themselves apart from being too generic. And like uh, with Nicolas Cage and uh, Peggy Sue got married, mm-hmm. a lot of criticism for like his his vocal stylings, like what he decided to do with that character. And it does at times take you out of the movie. But then sometimes that becomes like an iconic role too, because it was just so weird and offbeat. Sure. I think this is the opposite of that. Yeah, I just <laughs> don't think like... Kizak has that in him. You know, like I think actually this is a much more interesting movie if you have a Nicolas Cage like actor in this role. Um, because I think the fact that I think the fact that Cusack is so like stereotypically good looking actually actively works against him. And stereotypically eighties too. Yeah. Like it's this type of movie in this time period. Um but man, uh, Daphne Sneega really, I think, really is good. I think she does a lot of work with like, uh, you know, what it's is very little <laughs> the boring part, and I'm like totally with her the whole entire time, yep. uh, except for spoiler alert for the sure thing, except for falling for fucking Cusack in a, uh, a scene. Uh, I guess you would see later, maybe more famously in like Ten Things I Hate About You, where it's like the classroom like apology, like oh yes, yes, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if that worked for me, uh, even in Ten Things I Hate About You, which I think is considered like a like a modernish like kind of classic for yeah. a particular generation of that time. Definitely. I remember watching that film and putting myself in the shoes of, of Heath Ledger, which uh, normally would be very comfortable. I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to be that guy. <laughs> and in that sequence, I don't know. I think I would be oh, like, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I think I think. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. I don't think. I'm a little embarrassed. Here. Yeah. She's sure. saying nothing but uh, nice things. Uh, but yeah, this is uncomfortable. This is a yes. private moment here. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I kept thinking as I was watching this movie, because of course I'm watching it for the podcast. And one of the questions we always ask, ask our experts is like, is there anything you feel like we have to be aware of as far as like now viewing this in 2020? Right. And you would think, like Rob Reiner, oh, that's he's pretty, pretty modern. We're not going to have to worry about that. You weren't going to worry about that with, like, you know, maybe some of Scorsese's older movies, you know, fill in the blank of whatever director you love. If they directed movies in the 50s and 60s, you're like, okay, I have to keep in mind that, like, you know, the way we looked at, you know, women's rights is a little bit different, blah, blah, blah. But, like, this is, like, pretty regressive in a lot of ways. Like, it is very much, like teaching the woman how to finally loosen up and how to have fun. And even the Nicolette Sheridan character, and I use that term character extremely loosely, like she doesn't even have a name. <laughs> in the credits, her what name her name Dave. is the sure thing. I was going to say, she's the, the fucking credit. title. What do you want? <laughs> the title character, Dave. Jesus. And like her whole role is essentially to look beautiful, uh, offer sex, and then like feel bad that he said no. Like that's her whole, 
for a whole process in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a more interesting movie if he gets there and she's an actual person, not just a beautiful blonde uh, dressed up in Hawaiian garb. Like, it's just, like, you're watching it, and, like, for me, I had, like, no reaction to her whatsoever, other than, like, oh, yeah, she is very pretty, and apparently wants to have sex with John Cusack, so that's, she is really a sure thing, and it's just, like, it's really strange, even for the early 80s, I was like, this is a weird choice. I think it's a better movie if you don't even ever meet the sure thing. Like, I I actually would like it better if, uh, uh, you know, not to go back to Heath Ledger from a different role, but if it was, like, a a Joker origin type thing where he just keeps imagining what the sure thing could be, and it just, it's a different face, different woman every time. Because I think by the time you get there, do we really need this, uh, you know, will they or won't they? Like, she's with her boyfriend at the party. He's with, as you said, the sure thing, uh, Miss Sure Thing, I guess. Um, uh, and, you know, it, at that point, we know where it's going. It's so late in the right, game that right. uh, I think you're just ready for the niceties. And I actually hate that uh, that we wait. We wait till they get back to school for this. We wait for a big speech there. Like, I, I don't understand. The only thing I like about it was, uh, I guess, his, like, his freak out in the uh, hotel when they're like having uh, they're, they're like playing fucking like, you know, high school, like beer games. Uh, and she like actually like is interrupted by her, her reality that she's on her way to that. She left when she was at school, like her boyfriend and the, uh, the pouting <laughs> that takes place from this teenage dude is so on point, on point accurate that I'm like, okay, that, that this, this I get, and I, I could see this happening no matter – even if I like this character better, there there's going to be a temper tantrum zone because this guy thought, I'm, I'm about to get late. I'm doing it. I'm, 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 I'm having an actual conversation, and they seem to like my presence for more than two minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's been taken from me. Um, I don't know. I mean I – it's the type of movie that if someone said, oh, that's one of my favorite movies from the 80s or I used to watch that when I was a teenager or whatever, I wouldn't – I like I would get it in the sense of like, yeah, I could see there's some good points here. But if there were other people online, which I'm sure – I just always assume in 2020 there are people saying this is vile and this is awful. I could get that too. I could, yeah. see, I could see it. Uh, it. This one was right down the road for me. It's just weird that I have like a, that was fine, that was okay, and I hated the lead character response. That <laughs> is very rare, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I have a much more like hardline approach and view of this movie where like I I would never watch this movie again. Like you'd have to pay me to watch this movie again. Like there's no way. Uh, go ahead and pimp out the Patreon yes. right? to do, to do an audio <laughs> commentary track. The two of us on the shirt. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Can you imagine? It would just be me screaming for, for well, an hour and a half. And to be, be honest, great. you know, just go ahead and uh, put your credit cards away. It's probably just me and Dave. We would eventually wander off to topics that have nothing to do with what's happening on the screen. As all the best commentaries yeah. are. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's just, I think because especially in the first, I would say 30 to 40 minutes, it almost solely focuses on John Cusack's character. And mm-hmm. we are supposed yeah. to give two shits about him for some reason. And like the whole time I'm watching it, and I did not come to this with any preconceptions. I didn't know anything about it other than John Cusack was in it. Um, I hadn't read any reviews. I had none of that. I just like, why? Okay. I'm going to watch this. 85% Rotten just, Tomatoes, yeah, baby. I'm going to watch this romantic comedy. I'm sure it'll be nice. It's John Cusack. He's, you know, he's a good romantic comedy presence. This will be great. And I was just watching it like, you just like my face just changed for like the first 30 minutes. It's like to the scowl as I'm like, I don't like this guy at all. Like I'd rather hang out with his roommate. I'd rather hang out with Anthony Edwards. I'd rather hang out with Daphne Z- Zuniga. Cause she's like, you know, 
sure, she's like, you know, really focused on school and really like type A personality, but she's interesting. This is someone I would actually want to watch, but the movie continually throughout its entire runtime is just like trying to get you in line with like, yeah, these two should end up together. And by the time they do, I'm like, why would you want to be with this dude? Like, even when he supposedly makes these big changes, he's still kind of a dick. Like, the scene where they're, like, arguing by the punch bowl, is it's supposed to be cute, and it's supposed to create this, like, sexual tension and show that she is actually, for sure, interested in him. Because otherwise, why would she be having this reaction? But I just want to be like, no, just Daphne, just run. Just get away from all these people. You are so much better than this. So, like, that's a big problem in whether it's a sex comedy or a straight-up romantic comedy. If you are not rooting for the two to get together, like at any point, like I don't think there's a single moment in this movie where I'm like, I hope they end up together. The entire time I'm rooting for them to just get as far away from one another as physically possible. So that doesn't seem good. I mean, I'm fine with our our female lead here, um, Allison, getting <laughs> one level from her road trip buddy that maybe has her confront uh, that she's settled in some way, like that she is maybe playing things a little safe. She's, she's living sure. much older than what she should, which some people do. Uh, and you could have a, a healthy uh, form of experimentation, I guess, in your college years. Uh, <laughs> but and I don't know how this ending would play if she's like, okay, so there's Cusack. And then there's my dullard boyfriend, there's something in between here. I just got to figure out. I got to find that. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Anthony Edwards seems like he's having a good time. <laughs> like, he had hair. That guy. You know, Anthony yeah. Edwards with hair. So there you go. Yeah. Although, Dave, where do you stand on that? Because I think he's probably better looking as a bald man. I don't oh, know. Maybe I'm just used to it. Okay. 100% he's better looking as a bald man. Yeah. I don't think there's also, also a rare thing. So. Yeah. Especially coming from you. That is. People who did not listen maybe to War Machine versus Warhorse do not know your obsession with both men's hair and male pattern baldness. <laughs> Didn't we? We had something. I, I know I mentioned on this podcast because I saw a tweet where you you edited. Uh, I guess it was me out of context saying, "Here, here comes the baldy," or "Who invited the baldy?" <laughs> and I couldn't for the life of me. I'm like, what episode? What movie were that they talking was about? The invitation <laughs> you were making there fun we of go. me because I went after uh, John Carroll Lynch's looks <laughs> in that episode. So. I guess the rule with me is you just stick with hair and then everything else. It's like, that's, that's poor form, but yes. yeah, I, I can't let that go. But in this case, Anthony Edwards, uh, your hair looks shitty cause you have it and you look better <laughs> as a bald man. How about no. that? Perfect. All right. So that is it for this episode. Um, on our next episode, uh, we'll be talking about, you mentioned like eighties were a blind spot for you, except for like the big, like the classics. And I think both of these, kind of represent the classic. So we have Stand By Me and The Princess Bride, which is strangely now on the Criterion Collection. And if you had told me that 10 years ago, I own that. I would I have, have that laughed, copy, yeah. But yet, yeah. that's so that's what we're going to cover next time. Um, if you would like to hear more of our nonsense uh, or read more of our nonsense, you can go to our Twitter feed at DirectedByPod. And if you would like to join our patrons on Patreon, uh, right now we have three, right? We have Jacob Holler, we have uh, Andrew, Andrew Pierce from The Curb, and we have my mother, Terry Allen. Uh, so if you'd like to join that select crew, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash a podcast directed by and donate as little as a dollar a month and get access to all these full interviews and 
a special episode with me and Mike talking about keeping the faith, one of Mike's favorites. And also for the hundreds that are about to, to write those checks, a full-length audio commentary track of The Sure Thing. I'm going to have to include that as a <laughs> as a new <laughs> Patreon bonus. Uh, the other thing, actually, that I added to our Patreon in case people are interested in, uh, I assume I will be the only one doing this. I wrote one of the hosts will do this, and I assume it's going to be me because I know Mike can't be bothered. Uh, but there's a new Chrome extension for Netflix called Netflix Party where you can watch a movie and chat with your friends uh, on the on the side column there. So if you would like to watch a movie with one or both of us uh, and you donate a certain amount, then you can get that. <laughs> so lots of new bonuses coming up for all of you. Uh, but I assume Mike will I like be too this. lazy and too antisocial <laughs> to ever bother. So it'll probably be me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen this and I, I thought this was like some sort of Facebook uh, spyware that people were talking about because that's where I've seen it and I'm like that doesn't sound trustworthy at, at all but uh, yeah have you done it have you have you have. accomplished yeah, this? I did How did, it how's that go I write that for like? a website called talk film society so we they wanted to like try it out so we watched Jupiter ascending because a lot of the people at talk film society love um, love those directors um, so we checked that out and it worked really well and there was I think like 25 of us all watching okay. it at the same time. And it worked really well. And then I did one for myself. I watched uh, uh, Julia and Julia um, with a friend. Yeah, uh, I've never seen that. I no, I had that. seen it. I had seen it. Yeah. This this was like a second or third time watch. I'm saying I have n- I've never seen it. Oh, my that God. Yeah, that How? seems strange. Amy I, Adams I own, and you haven't seen it? I think you'd a like it. A physical copy and the iTunes copy, and I've yet to check that out. Yeah, we actually, actually watched it with patron Jacob Holler uh, and good guy. Uh, our mutual good friend uh, Natasha. Uh, so it was, a, it was a good time. And it worked really well, kind of without a hitch. So, yeah. So if you'd like to watch that with us, donate at patreon.com slash a podcast directory.